Hey, we're back. It is There's Some Horrors in This House. We here. We here. Reading we haven't some... said the name of our podcast in a while. We haven't. Most like of the I... time we just like don't We just like it. start talking. But I'm like, if you select it, I feel like you know what we're called, but we but should still tell you anyways. True. In case you're joining us for the first time. Yeah. And in case you're joining us for the first time, I'm Fluff. And I'm Maiden. And that's our roller derby names. That's not oh, like yeah. our actual that's names. Not, I wish that was my real name. I kind of wish that was my real name. I have a name tag for work and it says Maiden. So listen, I was thinking like, okay, so I don't know, like we watch RuPaul's Drag Race all the time. And RuPaul, like in the drag community, there's like drag families. Like you have your drag mom and your drag daughter, like kind of oh, like okay, roller yeah. derby, you know? But sometimes like the drag daughter like adopts the last name of their drag mm. mother and I'm like, I really want, like, the house of daddy. Like, that would be Ratchet fantastic. is my drag daughter. So I feel like now her name should be Ratchet, Ratchet daddy. daddy. I don't hate that. <laughs> I love it. But since I'm your drag daughter, my name should be Fluff Daddy Dash Hell. <laughs> that, could, that could work. So, I'm just, that was something I was thinking about yeah. the other day, that I wished Roller Derby had, like, Houses. House of Blank. Yeah. The House of Slam. <laughs> <laughs> the House of Slam. <laughs> and it has to be said just like that. Yes. Yeah, the like House that. of Slam. <laughs> That's how they say some of them. <laughs> it, that reminds me of, like, a wrestling. Yeah, I was thinking, Are like, you ready to rumble? Yeah. Oh god, we're gonna get sued. <laughs> I'm sorry, don't sue us. That's not my we don't do that. That's that, you guys. That's copyright. Copyright. That's, that's we don't not us. we don't rumble here. We're we don't not, rumble. Here. We're not ready to rumble. We don't do that. She wasn't ready. She wasn't ready to rumble. <laughs> <laughs> that shit ain't trademarked. That that's trademarked now. TM. That's, that's us. trademarked. <laughs> There's some whores in this house with fluff and maiden. Look, now they know again. Now they know. <laughs> okay. So, um, we want to get our likes up to 200. I know that's a thing. That's a thing. So we can do another live show. We want to do a live show so bad. But this is our 20th episode. It is. 20 episodes. That's bananas. Bananas. It's been a good 20 episodes. I was, like, listening to other, like, popular podcasts the other day, like, their 20th episodes, which I don't recommend doing because we love Morbid, mm-hmm. and their 20th episode is the Toy Box Killer. Oh, no. And that, I just can't make myself go through that again. It was hard enough on the first try. So I just, like, listened to the beginning of it, like, where they talked about their business, because I was, like, comparing, like, where, they where are. we're at compared to where they were, yeah. and um, anyway, um, we might be getting a Patreon soon. Yeah, that so, would be awesome. We're trying to think of names for Patreon tiers, which I think would be cool. And we're trying to think of, like, what we can give back to you guys, like, in order to earn your money. money. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Because we really want to get new mics. Like, that's, like, a goal of ours. That's, like, the main goal. Because we know our audio is crapola. So we really want to get better audio for you guys. Yeah. It would, I mean, it's, it could be worse. But it also could be way better. This is true. And we feel like y'all deserve better. So. I mean, for an iPhone, I feel like it's, it's good. pretty decent. And it's still crazy to me that it sounds better without those clip-on mics. Yeah, than with I really them. was disappointed in those mics yeah. that I did order. But I really want to get like a legit mic and like my record head- from a Ooh, laptop. Headphones. Ooh, yeah, we could be so official. <laughs> But yeah, that's a goal of ours. So we're thinking of creating a Patreon. So be sure to 
Uh, like our social media um, to make sure that you are up to date on everything. On everything yeah. Um, so we will announce, you know, when and if we get a Patreon and things like that. So things are coming. We have big ideas. We do. We definitely want to. They can be achieved, I feel. They, I feel like they can. Yeah. yeah. We just need to, like, sit down and do it. Yes. <laughs> yes, we do. So other than just getting the likes up on social media and wanting to go live again, that's really all that's the business. All the, yeah. Um, we still want to get the sticker started. Yes. We, I, I've been looking around online to see, like, how we can get those, like, mass produced. We, we ask a couple local people if they would do it, and it just, like a cost thing. It's, yeah, and it was awesome that, like, she was super honest about it. Yeah, absolutely. And was up front and was like, you know, I appreciate you coming to me first, but I don't want to send you away, but I feel like to get them mass-produced for the best amount of money, it would be better. To she, I don't know about making stickers or, like, making shirts even, but, like, mm-hmm. because of the design of the two, we act, we actually have two designs. Two designs, which are badass. Thanks, Thanks Megan. Megan. <laughs> um, she'd have to layer the colors yeah. to get it. And, and that like, would be hard. And for one, consuming. yeah, one sticker, golden. But to mass produce it, it would take forever and mm-hmm. it would be costly. So for us, we broke bitches and we can't afford costly right now. Yeah. So we want to try to support local artists as much as we can. So if you are a local artist, reach out to us because we're definitely looking to collaborate with people. Yes. Um, because we definitely want to get merch out there. That is a long-term goal of ours. So... Um, that is something that's in the works right now that we're working on behind the scenes. So Yeah, and now that we have a design, that's a much easier goal to achieve. Yes, the design is so cool. I cannot wait for you guys to see either. it. I it is. Well, they saw the one, but the other one we Yes, they saw it. the one because it's on our t-shirts that are badass yes. that Megan and we Jessica made. But um, the other design is... I'm our, so stoked about the other one, too. I really pocket. love it. I really love it. Me, too. It's so. awesome. That is all in the works, but we definitely want to go live again. And now that we have a laptop that's functional, we Better, our screen yeah. will be bigger, yes. so you can see all of our faces. This Not time. just half of each of ours, right? Yeah. <laughs> so the Facebook Live will definitely be better. But I think we're just like nineteen shy of two hundred. That's 200. not even that much. Just think about how far we've come and how far we have to go. Like that's way. I'm super pumped about how far we've come. Yes, so, me too. So thank you for that. Thank you guys. Um, we're kicking it old school tonight, though. We're each doing, I'm doing a true crime, you're doing a paranormal. Yep. we're so back to normal back with to normal. the normal, uh, format of the episode. Yeah. So, so and Maiden's going first, because that's what Slam decided. This bitch. <laughs> this bitch. Okay, so, <laughs> as per usual, and I mean, I feel like any murder, true crime is heavy, but this one, again, I don't know why I keep just, like, hammering them down. Man, you're kicking us when we're down. I am, and this one is <laughs> fucking awful. It's, uh, it's, it's really bad. Disclaimer. It's fucking It's fucking awful. awful. But you should still listen. Yes, please keep listening. Yes. Don't turn us don't, off yet. Don't turn us off yet. <laughs> um, so I chose, um, the senseless, like completely fucking senseless murder of 15 year old Seth Jackson. Okay. I don't think I know you this one. Ooh, I don't think whoa. I do. Okay. Sometimes when you get into it, I'm like, oh, okay. I know this one. Buckle up, babe. Oh, I'm buckled. <laughs> She's buckled. <laughs> she is ready. Okay. So. Seth Jackson was born February 3rd, 1996, the youngest of three sons to parents Sonia and Scott Jackson. They lived in Summersville, Florida, where at the time of the crime, Seth was a sophomore in high school. And, and Flor- this was, Florida be wildin', dude. Uh, they, they, <laughs> these kids, just wait, girl. They Jeez. are wildin'. And this is actually, like, it was in 2010. 
2011. So that was like yesterday. Yeah, it was like a week. It really feels like yesterday. Um, He is described as a good kid who was friendly, outgoing, funny, and popular with the girls. Ooh. Um, He was a bright kid. He's so handsome. He is a handsome little kid. And it it makes me sad, too, because not only is his last name my son's first name, Mm -hmm. but he has long hair like Jackson did when he was younger. And I'm like, oh, my God, you're just a baby. How old was he? He was 15. 15, okay. Like you're you're a baby. That is a baby. And like I said, he was the youngest of three sons. Yeah. So he is the baby. Aww. Like literally the baby. Um, he grew, was a bright kid who grew up climbing trees, riding his BMX bike, and skateboarding. So like typical, typical, typical kid. boy yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, but they never could have foreseen like the way that his life would turn out to be. Aww. And at only fourteen years old, um, he met a girl who would change his life forever. So, in December 2010, he met and started dating a pretty young redhead named Amber Wright. Seth's parents described it as a normal 14-year-old relationship. Um, Amber and Seth spent a lot of time together. And through a lot, and not just those two kids, but a lot of the other kids involved with them and, like, their friends. Um, I heard it described in another podcast. They were, like, latchkey kids, essentially. Like, their parents worked a lot, so they were left by themselves. Um, which I'm not doubt, like downing people who do that, but like they just kind of did whatever they wanted. Like Amber was spending the night at Seth's house, oh, which shit. I know when I was 14 years old, my mom would never let a guy stay at my fucking house mm-hmm. or vice versa. Like that's just not a thing, but I mean, you have to support your family somehow. And so they were working multiple jobs. Um, his mother even said that she was nice at first, but she could tell that there was something off about her a little bit and that she was like super ma- manipulative. Mm. Watch your TV wildin'. <laughs> it was on pause too long, and oh, okay. I was like, no, nah, I'm done. Sorry. ADD moment. <laughs> um, <clears throat> doo-doo-doo. The pair dated for around three months, which... In 14-year-old years... That's a long time. That's a long time. It is. And, I mean, like I said, they were together a lot. Mm-hmm. So, and like I, the, his parents described it as what they thought was a normal 14-year-old relationship... It wasn't. Mm. I mean, at 14 years old, I'm sure there were people having sex. So that's not as, Mm. like, abnormal. Smoking marijuana, that's not a big deal. But Amber said they even started dabbling in cocaine. That's a little much. At 14. That's a lot. Yeah. So I'm like, and like, where do you get cocaine when you're 14? I don't even even know where to get cocaine now. (laughs) (laughs) Where do you get cocaine now? We don't want cocaine. It was just just a a little side part. Um, but it didn't take them long into the relationship before the fights and bickering started, which again, you're 14. Yeah. So, I mean, you're still trying to navigate how to be in a relationship. And if you spend a lot of time together, even if you're just friends with someone, you're going to butt heads. Like, that's just the thing that happens at that age. Um, but I actually, there's also a documentary on Netflix called Killer Women with Piers Morgan. And he did an interview with Amber. Hmm. And I mean, it was, it was after the fact she was 20 yeah. at the time and the time of the crime, she was 15. So, I mean, it was five years after the fact, but she said in that interview that her and Seth were too much alike. So that was an issue right off the bat. That is an issue. I, I definitely understand that. And that they would do things purposefully just to piss each other off. Mm-hmm. Um, and they eventually ended up breaking up and some say it was infidelity on Amber's part that she was cheating um, with an 18-year-old named Mike Bargo. Jesus. Yeah. Others say it was because Seth cheated on her. But Mike, remember that. Put a pin oh, in it. Because he comes back. Yeah. Got it. He comes back later. So, I mean, if it were... The 18-year-old. Yes. If okay. it were up to me to decide who actually cheated, I would say it was probably Amber. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But it, also in her interview, Amber said that she only slept with Mike to hurt stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. Love su- that. Super awesome. This girl is fucking sucks. And let me tell you, Mike sucks too. Fuck him too. <laughs> um, there was even rumors of physical abuse and rape. That is crazy at, at 14. 14. It just sounds like the relationship was like way too adult. Adults to be 14. I, I, re- I, I neglect to say the word mature, but way no, too adult, adult for, for a 14 year old to comprehend. Yeah. And I mean, like I said, they were 14 and like turned 15 in the midst of their like three month relationship. I just like, yeah, like at 14 and 15, like what? You're like a freshman in high school. Yeah, like go, you should be. Go do a puzzle. Or <laughs> go do a puzzle. Don't do cocaine. Do a puzzle. I was like, you know, like my parents were still driving me and my 15 year old boyfriend to the fucking movies. We would go like, to the skating rink. Yeah. And my dad would get butt hurt because I held a hand with somebody, with a guy <laughs> to skate to a fucking slow song. And they're having sex and doing cocaine. That's crazy. Could have been a lot worse, Dad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And also, this gem. This is is like, it's not funny, but it is in the same sense. Because, like, murder's not funny. Mm -hmm. But this was a time of, like, Facebook. Social media was coming into play. Sure. So a lot of their drama and fights... We're on Facebook. That's excellent. And I have quite a few little, like, excerpts from, like, different fights that they had on Facebook. And there's one in particular that I'm thinking of, and you're probably going to piss yourself when I read it to you. I can't wait. Because I was like, wow, Seth, you petty, but I'm not mad about it. I mean, I, I do appreciate a petty <laughs> Me bitch. Me too. Um, do, 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 do. Um, so, yeah, I said, being that it was 2010, a lot of their fights and arguments and trash talking were posted on Facebook. And I said, let's dive into the Facebook drama. That's like Facebook's heyday, too. I know. I feel like, let's see, 2010. I wasn't, oh, yeah, I feel like that was when I first got, like, my yeah. Facebook. Um, so, on April 4th, and this was, like, after they had already broken up, mm-hmm. Amber posts, quote, lots to think about, good night. 18-year-old Mike Bargo comments, I hope you aren't sad over me. And this kid from their school named Dalton said, LOL, Seth was going to beat your ass. <laughs> <laughs> Called out. Also I guess, love Dalton. Right? <laughs> you, you cool, Dalton. I guess there was multiple different occasions where they were supposed to fight, but they, like, never linked up. Some things I read say that Mike wussed out. But I'm like, dude, you're 18, he's 15. Why are you going to puss out a fight in a 15-year-old? Well, Unless you're worried you're going to catch a charge for it. I was going to say, like, that could be an he, assault because he could be charged as, as an adult. Well, I feel like Mike don't care. Mike, <laughs> he, he don't care about that. Um, Amber says... Get over the fact that I broke up with you and all you do is talk shit and then don't actually do anything. Oh, Facebook. I know. Um, he commented back. This is a huge ex- exclam- not exclamation. Escalation. Escalation. From just saying about like fighting someone. He um he says um that he like threatened to burn her house down. Shit. With her it? whole family in it, including Mike. Holy shit. Yeah. And then says, How's it feel to be cheated on? Which I feel like he just threw that in there as a dig towards her. But, like, you already said you're going to burn her house down. I think you're good, bro. Like, you don't need to add that you're going to burn her house down. That's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot to unpack. You ever, like, go through your Facebook memories of, like, things that you posted 10 years ago and you, like, cringe? Yeah. Sometimes I delete them so they don't come back up in my memory. I do too. I delete shit all the time. I don't even know who that was. Like, who's this bitch? Who's this girl? I don't know her. She may look like me and have my name, but I don't know her. (laughs) She's an imposter. Imposter. 
Um, and after the comment about him threat, like, threatening to burn her house down, they did have, like, a little sit-down chit-chat with, like, their parents and Amber's parents. And I feel like they thought it was resolved, but it really wasn't. And nothing else was, like, ever done about it. Like, nobody went to the cops or anything. Like, it was just... Hey, let's talk and be like, bro, you can't really tell people you're going to burn their house down. That's crazy. I feel like nowadays that would be like a much That would be taken way more seriously. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, Oh, (laughs) here we go. This gem. So, um, Seth then posts on April 7th. Hello, everybody. My name is Amber Wright, and I smoke meth every day. Wow. I love this stuff. It makes me jizz in my pants. Shut (laughs) the fuck up. That's a gold mine. AKA, I'm a slut. (laughs) That's not real. I'm done with you, Amber. You know that. Like, make you jizz in my pants. That makes me jizz in my (laughs) pants. (laughs) Mess, 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 mess. (laughs) Mess. Oh my god. And that's like, okay, weed, cocaine, mess. That's an escalation. (laughs) Um, On April 8th, Amber posts to Facebook. And this, April, like, April is a month because that's when, like, all this, like, heavy, heavy shit ends up going down. Mm-hmm. This is, like, weeks before. So, it was, like, building and building oh, and God. building until it finally, like, really fucking escalated. Mm-hmm. Um, but she posted, I got so tired of you treating me like I was nothing. If you're so perfect, why don't you get over your jealousy and get a new girl you can hurt? You know I care deeply about you. I stuck with you through a lot of stuff. It takes a real man to accept the fact that he got broken up with. But he's not a man, girl. He is 15. He, is 15. he could be 20. And, and still, he still ain't a man. You could be 30, 35, 40, <laughs> You're not 40 a man. Yet. You're not a man. <laughs> um, okay, so then this was the same day. Um, Seth posts at 11.42 a.m. If you would go back and read some of the shit I wrote, I said I was done with you and you should be done with me. 11.43 a.m. Just like when I rode by your brother and Mike, I didn't say nothing, but you did. So you grow the fuck up and leave me the fuck alone. Wow, this is so toxic. But it's, at the same time, do you ever, like, see somebody fighting on social media and you just, like, sit there and, like, have to everything? read all the comments? I'm just sitting there with, like, my fucking pop. I know, like, oh, like, yeah. Watching this unfold. I don't even know these two people. <laughs> I like, get so I invested. Her Facebook to her Facebook to his Facebook to her Facebook. I don't even know these people. Oh, anymore, my God. I, I get so invested in things. And I'll be like, ooh. <laughs> Sick burn. I'm glad I'm not the only one that does that. No, I do. I do, too. <laughs> Um, at 11.44 a.m., he says, it's to the point where I don't like hearing your fucking name, girl, so be with him. Smoke your weed and leave me out of this. This is it. We're both done talking shit. But I thought she was smoking meth. Yeah. Do you smoke meth? I feel like you smoke meth. I feel like you smoke meth. I think you do, too. This is, like, my extent, like, my knowledge on drugs. (laughs) Like, do you smoke meth? We don't even know how you do meth. I think you Where do you get cocaine? (laughs) (laughs) Especially at 14. (laughs) Um, uh, 11.45 a.m. So he's just, like, on a fucking And also, here. this is, like, before fucking noon. I know. Go to sleep. You're 15. Or sleep. go to school. Or go to school, yeah. Like, but, like, where, are you supposed to be at school? Are you on some vacation? I feel like... <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, asleep until noon when I'm 15. I'm not awake at 11.30. I'm not awake. No. I'm not I'm, alive. I'm, Sometimes I'm on awake now at 32 until like 11 o'clock in the morning. Right. Um, 
11.45 a.m. We both need to just let all this shit go. Yeah, we split. Yeah, it hurt. But I'm over the dumb shit with me and you. I just ain't going to let Mike have his cake and eat it too. And then another one right after. It don't work that way, Amber, and you know it. That's crazy because both of them are going back and forth like, I'm done. No, I'm done. But no, I'm done. Not. But like you keep saying shit. You so done. if you're done... Just shut up. I'll just wait because Amber goes on a fucking... She goes off right oh, now. Oh, God. Amber's response. How are you done with me if you constantly write shit about me, talk about me, hate on me, fucking say shit to me? Huh? Tell me because I really want to fucking know. Exactly. You're not done with it if you keep bringing my name into shit. So learn the definition of done. I mean, she Ooh. also needs but she's to learn the, the definition of done. You're a hypocrite, Amber. <laughs> So, but I, also, like, you're 14. Why are you cussing, like, a sailor? Fuck is my favorite word now. Yes. At 32, but at 15. At 15, that's still, like, I feel like you're whispering that I still. felt crazy saying hell at 15. I know. Like, you were still, like, testing the waters with your parents. Like, what the hell, mom? And Dude, then you're just, like, waiting to I see if your mom, like, backhands you. Never forget. It was, like, fifth grade. I was doing my math homework, and my mom had this, like, little table with a bar stool on the opposite wall from the kitchen. And she was in the kitchen cooking or whatever. And I was trying to do a math problem, and I didn't understand it. And I was like, what the hell? <laughs> she flew out of that kitchen. Oh, what'd you just say? I was like, I, I honestly know. But I just said hell, and that was I know, I'm, to, still, I'm 32 years old, and I'm still like, can I say that in front of my mom? I know, and my mom listens <laughs> to the podcast, and I'm like, Mom, I say the fuck word a lot, so sorry about that. <laughs> when my mom gets so mad sometimes, she'll say the fuck word. And then I'm just like, oh. Can we still try to act like, like we don't say that? Like, we, she does too. And I even remember when I was still living at home, she would think I wasn't home, and, like, the dogs would tear something up or, like, pee on the floor. And she's like, you motherfucker. And I'm like, open the door. I'm like, I heard you. You said the fuck word. I heard you. That's hilarious. Um. Okay, so apparently it finally happened. There was an incident at a party, and it didn't specify, like, whose party, who was there, when it was, but it's a party with 15-year-olds. So there was probably a bunch of people there. Seth and Mike did fight. Oh. And Mike got knocked the fuck out by a 15-year-old. Was, like, Seth, like, a big kid? Not really. I mean, Mike wasn't really a big kid either. I think he was, like, tall, but he was was pretty skinny. Yeah. What's that? What? Smoked mac and cheese. Smoked mac and cheese. What? Woo! You are the perfect woman. Man, I got wine. When Look I got here, you. there was wine poured, food plated. I got more wine, and now I have smoked mac and cheese. These bitches. I love them. Oh, my God. Slam. Okay, so. Slam, do you want to get married? <laughs> All right. Put it on the calendar. Mark it in your fucking calendar. Well, that's good. And I, I put Mike at a part. Mike and Seth got in a fight and he got punked out. Bitch ass 18 year old Mike got knocked out by a 15 year old. You <laughs> got knocked the fuck out. So I'm sure that if he didn't already have like harboring animosity towards Seth, um, getting knocked the fuck out in front of a bunch of people probably, probably yeah. did that. Um, also just a week before the murder, he threatened Seth saying, quote, I have a bullet with your name on it. Oh shit. Escalation. That's a lot. Even at 18. Yeah, that's a lot. You would get in so much trouble for If you that said now. shit like that yeah. now. Yeah. Um, also, apparently, Seth had drama with Amber's stepbrother. Um, his name was Kyle Hooper. And it could have partially originally been fueled by the fact that Amber had told people that Seth had been, like, physically abusive towards her. Mm. And maybe raped her. Mm. So... 
Because Seth's mom actually said that Kyle and Seth used to be friends. Like, Seth would come to their house with Amber. But did Seth do all that that she claimed? It's, it's never fully stated that if he did or didn't. Okay. But. It's hard know. to tell. It is. But when you see how manipulative and dis- deceitful she is, it yeah. almost makes you think that she just made it up. Right. To back her further claims of, like, other shit that happened. Okay. Um, uh, it all came to a head when Kyle was broken up with over the phone by a girl he was dating named Alyssa. He went um, to her house to talk about things and caught her in bed with Seth. Oh, shit. Through her bedroom window. Why are you creeping through her bedroom window, Kyle? Oh, my God. Peeping Kyle. But, like, they're 15. Where's your parents at, Alyssa? Holy shit. Yeah. But, like, like, why are you looking through her window, bro? Yeah, that's creepy. And I put fucking creep. Yeah, that's suspicious. So, in retaliation, he stole Seth's bike. That seems fair. Yeah. yeah. Sleep with my girl, steal your bike. Michael's like, dude, you can't just go stealing people's bikes. That's not cool. But you can't. But you you can threaten them with a bullet. Or burn their house down. Or burn their house down, but you can't steal bikes. kids. I can't. I I don't want my kids to grow up. Me either. Um, There was also a separate incident where Mike and Kyle called Seth. And um, his best friend, Sam Lott, to come to the trailer. You'll hear more about the trailer later. But it was rented by an 18-year-old girl named Charlie Eli, whose husband was in prison. Was 18 like, years old? Yeah. I think, I'll tell you one thing. <laughs> uh, this is Florida? Yeah. Okay, so I I worked at a summer camp in Florida. And these kids are so much... Like, I, like my age group that I worked with was like 12 to 14. They're so much more i wouldn't say more mature but they act like they're so much older than, than 12 are. and 14 they're talking about like going out to clubs and shit on the weekend and i'm just <laughs> like you're 12 you are 13 years old you're 11 years old oh my god so yeah i can i can totally see that like the florida is just a totally different apparently uh, you know that we're used to up here it's crazy down there but she would like rent out some of the rooms in the trailer so, like, some of these younger kids, like, Mike lived there. Kyle would stay there sometimes, like, to help while her husband was in prison. It never said what he was in prison for, though. I'm kind of curious about That's that. That's suspicious. I'm saying. <laughs> um, but he called them and, like, told them to come to the trailer. Like, I don't know if it was supposed to be, like, a, re- a rematch fight or whatever the case. So, they go. And as they get closer, Kyle said Mike starts shooting in their direction. <gasps> Damn. Just firing a fucking gun at him. So they leave. Like, Kyle and his, and his friend are like, we out. Bye. Yeah. No, thank you. Um, so fast forward only a few weeks from the Facebook drama. Now, remember, I told you, like, I think the first one was, like, April 4th. Mm-hmm. There was, like, April 7th and April 8th. So now we're at April 17th. Okay. Of 2011. Amber Wright, Mike Bargo, and Kyle Hooper, which Kyle, that's her stepbrother. Mm-hmm. Are at the double wide trailer, which is referred to a lot as a flop house. That 18 year old Charlie Eli. I wrote the wrong name. B. <laughs> I was like, that's not her name. That's not my name. Um, uh, yeah, she rents out the rooms to teenagers to help her out while her husband is in prison. This is where Mike lives and Kyle stays from time to time. They are also with some fuckhead named Justin Soto. Because there's like pictures in some of the articles I read for my research. He looks like a fucking douche canoe. His name just sounds like Justin Soto. Yeah. 
Um, and they devise a plan to kill Seth. That's good. Love Simply that. Simply because no one likes him. Absolutely. That's all. Mm. That's why. Makes sense. So their plan, which it, in a lot of the stuff I, I read, they go back and forth about who actually like thought of this plan. A lot of people blame Mike, but I think, think they're just trying to use him as a scapegoat right. for themselves. So... Um, but the plan was Amber would text him to meet her on a street corner under the guise that she wanted to work things out and get back together. Then she would lure him to the trailer, texting Kyle and Mike when she was close to the trailer, letting him know, you know, get ready. Um, Justin Soto would hit him with a piece of wood and Mike would shoot him. But like, what's Justin Soto, like, what's his beef? He just, he I don't just know. went along for the ride. And I, I feel like through a lot of this, Mike is to blame, like I said, but... Amber said that he threatened him. Charlie seemed to, like, just go with what he said. Kyle went with what he said. I mean, I don't know. People must have been afraid of this guy and just did what the fuck he wanted. Yeah. That's crazy. I know. Um, yeah, and it says in quotation, It's questionable who originally thought of the plan. Most say Mike. But they all knew what the outcome would be. And mm -hmm. if you think about it, he would have never ended up in this situation if it weren't for Amber. So she can claim that she's fucking innocent or she was a bystander or she had nothing to do with it. Homeboy wouldn't have even fucking come to, to there if it weren't for you. Right. So you're guilty. Mm -hmm. Even if you didn't fucking put your hands on him or do anything. By You're just as guilty because you brought him there. Mm -hmm. Knowing what was going to happen ahead of time. Right. Um... The night did not go as planned. Even though their plan was terrible and horrible, it, that's not how things played out. Mm -hmm. So, Seth gets a text from Amber around 8, 12 p.m., and he was with his best friend playing video games. And the text said, hey, can you talk? Seth replies, you said you needed to talk. Amber says, I kind of need to talk to you about working things out. Can you please call me now? It's un unspecified what their conversation on the phone was, but they did talk on the phone for a minute. And then... She tells Seth through the text that her friend Charlie is coming with her to meet him. And she said, I've been telling Charlie everything between you and I, and I need her to help me through this, but don't tell anybody what's going on because I want to make sure we can work things out before anyone knows. And his best friends, like, don't go. Yeah. Like, this... This is suspicious. The, and he was like, it's fine, buddy. I'll just see you tomorrow at school. So, he tells Amber... Or tells her, Amber, if you have me jumped, I will never give you the time of day. So if I get jumped, say goodbye, all right? Amber responds, I swear you're not, Seth. I could never do that to you. I just want me and you back. Mm-hmm. This bitch. So, before even they, before they even make it, oh, that was the part I missed of their plan. The part, like, she was supposed to text, did I say that, when they're getting close to the house? Yeah. Mm-hmm. She doesn't, for some reason. Hmm. Um... So once they get there, Justin Soto, who was the one that was supposed to, like, start attacking him, doesn't even do anything. So <laughs> Seth is just, like, sitting on the couch. Kyle and Mike are in Mike's bedroom going back and forth over whether they should carry, carry out their plan and, like, follow through with what they said they were going to do. Probably shouldn't. Yeah, probably not. Like, I feel like, no. No, you shouldn't. Um, and then out of nowhere, Kyle comes running out and hits Seth in the head with a piece of wood. And a couple of the articles I read said it was an axe handle. Like, he just hits That's him over the head. That's good. And Mike begins shooting at him. Jesus. So. Where are these kids getting weapons? I, I heard that it was given to him. It was a gift. Others say it was a drug, like, not a drug deal, but that it was, it maybe was something to do with drugs, and it was like a trade. That's nuts. Yeah. So, Seth actually gets away. 
he runs out of the house and is almost to the road when he is tackled by Justin and drugged back into the house. Oh, no. Um, they place him in the bathtub. Mike says to him, or says to them, I want him to be alive because I want him to see who's killing him. And I'm pretty sure that, like, at that point he shot him again. That's fucked up. So there's blood all over the living room. Kyle leaves Mike alone in the bathroom with Seth while he goes out to help Charlie and Amber clean up the blood that's probably all over the fucking... Because they were beating him. They were still hitting him. He had been shot twice already at this point. So I'm sure it was a fucking mess. Yeah. So they start cleaning it up. Um, Mike continues to beat Seth, scream at him, and shoot him. In total, he was shot eight times. Jesus. I know. Kyle goes back into the bathroom and was like, dude, you need to stop being so loud. Quit shooting and quit screaming or the neighbors will, neighbors will hear you. That's what he was worried about. That's was the neighbors hearing. Maybe not like, that you're about killing to, the 14 year old. You're about to kill a 15 year old kid. Yeah. That's not your concern. Just that the neighbors might hear you. Um, um, I'm not sure at this point if he was alive because it doesn't specify in most things that I've read. But they had known from the beginning that they wanted to put him in a sleeping bag. But he won't fit. Mm. They break his kneecaps. Oh my god. Yeah, with a hammer. So I don't know if he was alive at the time that they broke his kneecaps. But they broke his kneecaps so that they could stuff him into a sleeping bag. And then Mike's it, Mike takes it, as if that's not already on a crazy fucking level. Takes it one step further and decides to pull each one of his teeth out one by one with fucking pliers. What the actual... Fuck. So to me, because I know, teeth aren't going to burn in a fire. No. So I feel like he knew that too. Like, why else would you do that? Because you already, they already knew in the plan that they were going to put him in a sleeping bag and that they were going to burn his body. burn him. Okay. So what other reason, unless he was still alive and he just did it to torture him? I don't know. That's fucked up. But either way, that, yeah, that happened. So they start a fire in the fire pit in Charlie's backyard where they then place the sleeping bag with Seth's remains inside of it. Um, at one point, and this is not, I mean, it's all bananas, but this fucking blows my fucking mind. So, they start the fire, and it's fucking Johnny blazing. Like, I don't know what accelerant they use, but it was, like, crazy high, and the neighbors are looking out the window like, what the fuck is going on over there? Mm-hmm. Shit's crazy. So, the neighbor, who actually later testifies in trial, um, her name was Jennifer Cunningham, and her husband go outside to, like, inspect, like, what the fuck is going on. Um, so she testified that she saw two males, Mike and Kyle, and one female, which was Charlie, talking to her husband. Another female, Amber, and a male, which would have been Justin, were around the fire. She said Charlie was very talkative, saying to her, her husband was in jail, and she just had some friends over to keep her mind off things. Um, she even invited Jennifer and her husband to come join them at the fire. That's crazy. Where they are burning a body. That's, and I know, because Morbid did it. I listened. Morbid did an episode on this, and okay. I listened to that one. Mm-hmm. But she said, which Elena, I mean, has like history with being like in the Morgan stuff. Mm-hmm. Like for one, charred flesh. I don't know what the fuck that smells like. That's but gonna she smell was like, so it's, bad. But just think about, and she says this in the episode. Think about when you go to a fire, mm-hmm. just a normal ass fire. For if you don't shower. Or, like, the clothes you were wearing. I know I just went to a party and there was a fire outside. Mm-hmm. My jacket, my purse, the mask that was in my pocket. Yeah. All smelled like fire. Mm-hmm. And that was just a regular-ass fire with fucking sticks and right. shit. Not a body. Like, it's... How are you going to explain that to these people? 
that, I don't know, that just blew my mind that she was just like, hey, come party with us. Like, so nonchalant about it. Right. Um, sorry, I lost my spot. Okay. Um, she, she also said in her, when she testified that the fire was somewhere between eight to ten feet tall. Jeez. Um, and after the first time that she, they went outside, her husband actually had to go out a second time because it accelerated even more. So it was even bigger than that. And, I mean, they told him, like, don't worry, we got this. Like, we'll keep an eye on it. Everything will be fine. Um, so they, they stayed outside around the fire. I think they might have been drinking and smoking. And, um, Kyle actually ended up staying outside tending to the fire till 2.30 in the morning. Um, so the following day, which I guess technically would be the same day, they placed Seth's remains in five-gallon paint buckets. And with the help of Kyle and Amber's former stepfather, who I read in one article had been at the trailer the previous night when they were discussing their plan for Seth. And he was uncomfortable, so he left. Hmm. For one... You're a grown-ass man. And Why are you with kids? That. Yeah. And also, you hear them talking about killing someone, and you're just like, this is fine. I'm leaving. Um, but his name was, um, I think, why did I, why do I do this to myself? I just have his last name. I think it was John Havens was his name. Um, they, um, attach cinder blocks to the five-gallon buckets and throw them into a nearby rock quarry that Mike had previously been to with a former girlfriend. So, um, meanwhile, Seth's mother knew something was wrong immediately because she hadn't heard from Seth, she hadn't seen him, he hadn't come home. And she said it wasn't like him to do that. He, she always knew where he was. And he would call and say, hey, I'm here, or I'm gonna do this, but that she always knew where he was. Mm -hmm. Um, Amber and Kyle's mother called Havens and said the police were at her house looking for Seth because her mother went and like filed a missing police report because she knew something was off. Um, and if they wanted to know where Amber, Mike, and Kyle were to see if they maybe knew where Seth was. Um, once he found out the police were involved, he dropped Kyle off near his mom, mom's house and drove Mike to his ex-girlfriend's dad's house after Kyle had given him money to go on the run. Um, Kyle didn't really make it very long under the pressure of knowing what happened. Like, he was seeing news reports and stuff about Seth being missing, and he cracked. Mm -hmm. He told his mom that he was there, or he knew where Seth, Seth was, and that he saw him being murdered, but he wasn't involved. Hmm. But you didn't try to stop it either. Yeah, right. If your story's accurate, what did you do to try to prevent yeah, it? Nothing. you're still guilty. So, Amber, Kyle, and their mom go to the police station the next day and are interviewed by lead investigator Rhonda Stroop. This is a bad fucking bitch. They're on the Pierce Morgan um, documentary I watched. They show actual footage of them in, like, the interrogation room. Right. And just her approach, like, her, like, no bullshit attitude is fucking fantastic. Um, so, Kyle originally says that Seth came over himself to talk to Amber and that he hits him in the head, you know, he was pissed that he had put his hands on Amber, like he had fucked his, her his girlfriend or whatever. Mm -hmm. So there was already animosity there, and he, like, hit him in the head and was just, like, told him to get the fuck out of there. Like, don't come back here. And then all of a sudden, Mike comes out and starts shooting Seth. Amber is interviewed next and tells them somewhat of a similar story, but limits her involvement in it to absolutely, like, nothing. Mm -hmm. Um... Same thing, like, Seth showed up to talk um, to her. Kyle gets up out of nowhere, hits him in the head. Then she looks at Charlie and says, run. They run into Charlie's 
bedroom and actually hide like in her bathroom. They heard another door open and gunshot after gunshot. But they didn't come out of the bedroom till 11 or 12 the next day. You just wow. hear gunshots going off in the fucking room next to you and you just go to sleep? That's... I can't. Uh, no. I have no words. No, I... And that oh, the only the only thing they knew was when they came out of the bedroom, the house reeked like bleach. Good. They, they didn't know what happened. Absolutely. Um, also, like I said, in the interview with Piers Morgan, they show the uh, interrogation room. And at one point, Amber's in the interrog- interrogation room by herself, and Rhonda comes in, and he, she was like, listen, I'm sick of being lied to today, little girl, so you need to tell me the fucking truth or I'm out of here. And you can just sit in here, and whatever fucking happens to you happens to you, and I don't care. All right, bad And bitch. I was like, wow. She, but she called. Yeah. She's like, I'm sick of, I'm sick of being lied to. And Amber starts telling a different story, and she like does like puts her hands down like she's gonna stand up. She's like, you're not telling me the truth. And she was like, are you going to? This is the last chance I'm gonna give you. Are you gonna stop lying to me? And she was like, yes, ma'am. So she sat back down and like continued with what she was saying. But I'm Get like, it. Wow. Just wait until she comes in the room and later in the story. And that was good too. Um. And then Kyle eventually ends up telling, like, pretty much the full truth of what happened. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in a different clip from the same footage from the interrogation room, it shows Kyle, Amber, and Charlie in an interrogation room by themselves. Because at the beginning, you see Amber and Kyle and their mom in the room. Mm -hmm. And that's when they just stick with each other's story. Like, what Kyle said happened is what Amber said happened. And then she pulls Kyle separate. And then interviews Amber with just Amber's mom. Then pulls her mom out and interviews just Amber. Like, she just goes through it a lot to try to get down to actually what really fucking happened. Um, Amber says to Kyle, though, you told them. And Kyle said, I had to. They knew we were lying. Yeah. Amber says, you know how many people are going to hate us for this? People we don't even know are going to come after us if we get out of this. If we get out, like, if we get out of this? You ain't getting out of this, honey. And just, ooh, just wait till you hear something else she says. Um, she tells them that she didn't even do anything and blames it all on Mike, saying he threatened to kill them if they told and that it wouldn't have even happened if it weren't for him. But that's no. Because how did he get there? Like I said, yeah, it would have never happened if it weren't for you, girl. Amber brought him there. Exactly. Yeah. Um, she says, also says she doesn't know why she didn't try to stop him and that she doesn't even know if she wanted to. Good. I was like, what? And through the interview, even, like, the interrogation room footage, she doesn't really show much emotion. Um, It takes a while into it. Like, after she comes in and tells them what they're being charged with, she still doesn't show emotion until she, like, thinks more into it and she starts crying a little bit. But then in the uh, interview with Pierce Morgan, again, stone cold. No no face emotion. She doesn't cry. She doesn't seem remorseful at all until the end of it. He asks if she's had any contact with Mike or any of the other co-defendants, and she gets teary-eyed. So you get teary-eyed over this fucking tool bag. Yeah. But not the kid that you helped murder. But you say you're innocent. Yeah. You got the all fucked up, girl. That's fucked up. Um, Rhonda comes in and tells all three of them that they are being booked for first-degree premeditated murder with no bond. And she's just like, Charlie, come with me, and just walks out of the room. <laughs> yes! And, like, Charlie starts crying before she gets up. She, like, immediately starts crying. Mm-hmm. And Kyle just kind of puts his hands down, like, head down in his hands. And Amber just sits there. And it takes a minute before they start, like, saying anything. Um, 
But when she does finally say something, it's, it's this gem. I'm going to be fucking 20 by the time I get out. Oh. Oh, honey. Honey, you... 20? No. That's the five years? She's going to get five years for first degree premeditated murder? No, ma'am. Like, wow. That's cute. Yeah. <laughs> Mike was finally found days later. Um, he was 18 miles away. Uh, and they show him as well in that documentary in the interrogation room. And he immediately says he wants a lawyer. Yeah. And he's like, so you... The, the cop's like, you don't want to tell me anything. He's like, no, I want a lawyer. And then he starts talking. He's like, you already wait. Like, you can't talk to me now. You can't take it back. You already said you wanted a lawyer. Mm-hmm. So, like, that already... I feel like as soon as people lawyer up, that's you telling me that you're fucking guilty. Yeah, or, or you had some involved. Yeah. So, he even takes it a step further and denies that him and Amber were ever even a couple. Wow. And that they didn't even sleep together. Wow. And at his trial, one of the prosecutors called him out on his shit. Because him and Amber actually both have each other's initials tattooed on their bodies in their groin area. And she's like, so you just get all your friends tattoos, like initials tattooed around your groin? That's disgusting. And he supposedly is the one who like did the tattoos on each of them. Ew. Um, And then this too, like Mike would brag about the crime to anyone that would listen. While he was on the run, he told his ex-girlfriend. He told an ex-girlfriend's dad. He told some fucking rando guy that was at the police station with him. Um, some guy that was in a holding cell with him. And he would, like, go into explicit details about, like, what happened. So he, like, enjoyed it. He wouldn't, he would refuse to confess to investigators or the jury at his trial. Jeez. But he would tell any random fucking Joe Schmo. Mm Mm-hmm. Because that's just hearsay. You can't prove that I said that. So I guess maybe that's why. Yeah. Um, it gets so much better. At his trial, he claimed he wasn't even there. Oh. When Seth was murdered. Yeah. Um, but he did later help dispose of the remains. He said Kyle and Justin attacked him, beating him up so badly, and ended up stealing his gun. And in his mugshots, his face is fucked up. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, I don't believe that Seth and Kyle, or not Seth, but Justin and Kyle beat him up. I think that's from Seth fighting for his fucking life when you murdered him. Absolutely. His fucking eyes swollen shut, his lips all busted open. Or they somebody in jail, maybe. I don't. It never tells you, but his face was fucked up in his mugshot. Mm-hmm. Um, so he said after that he went. He um, showered, drank a few beers, and then decided he was going to go to his ex girlfriend's house. Um, he stopped along the way just to roll a few joints, walked a little further, then stopped again to smoke a couple joints, um, and then a little further down the road he threw up and he was like, "Oh, I'm a fucking mess. I should probably just go home, not go to my ex girlfriend's house." So he turned around and walked home. And at this point, he said when he walks in, he sees Charlie cleaning up blood on the floor. So he knew something had happened, but he didn't ask any questions. He just went straight to bed. <laughs> wow. Do you really think that sounds, like, legit, like, believable that that's really what happened? Um, so, Soda was standing by the door. Amber was sitting on the couch drinking from her liquor bottle. Like, he said he knew something had happened, but yeah, he just went to bed without asking any questions. Soto later came into his bedroom, though, and said he'd give him his gun back once he talked to Kyle, who was supposedly the mastermind of all of what happened with mm-hmm. Seth. Um, he saw the fire and went outside where Kyle was and told him that um, Kyle told him that him and Soto shot him after a fight broke out when he had come to talk to Amber. Um, although everyone wants to blame Mike, investigators actually believe that Amber was the true mastermind calling her the most dangerous 15-year-old they've ever met. 
Rhonda Stroop, which was the lead investigator, even said she's manipulative. She's manipulative. You have to catch her and you have to prove she's lying before she'll fall apart and talk to you about it. So, I guess she's got a sociopath. Yeah. Yeah. So, upon an investigation at the trailer, I should have looked at that probably, huh? <laughs> Sorry. Um, do, 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 do. They recovered what they believed to be human remains in the fire pit. The bathroom door was off the hinges. They found a loaded 22 caliber revolver, two containers containing live ammunition. Um, in the front bedroom, there was a can with 72 22 caliber casings in it, three live rounds, and like some loose, uh, some loose 22 caliber casings mixed with some live rounds, a 22 caliber ammo box, and 22 casings in the bathroom. At the rock quarry, they found shoe impressions and impressions from the paint buckets in the dirt. Uh, There was also a plastic bag attached to a bucket found floating. A five-gallon bucket lid on some rocks and two more five-gallon buckets that they ended up finding divers underwater found. Mm -hmm. Um, DNA tests showed the remains to be 63,000% more likely to be that of a son of Seth's parents than an unknown male. So, I mean, they confirmed that it was him. Uh, They also found DNA from Charlie, Kyle, and Mike in mixtures of blood throughout the kitchen, living room, and bedroom. So, clearly, you didn't clean up that well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mike was sentenced to death. Amber Wright was sentenced to life, as was Kyle and Charlie Ely. Uh, Charlie would later plead guilty to secondary murder on a plea deal and was sentenced to 10 years, and she served nine. Guess who her lawyer was? Who? Jose Baez. Wow. Casey Anthony. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So... He would later say upon her release, It's a bittersweet day. I've been fighting for her for eight years. I'm really happy that she's getting out, but she's forever scarred. I hate you. Wow. This was a plea of convenience. She maintains her innocence, and the facts show she's innocent. Like, what a fucking joke. Yeah. Seth's mom attended each and every trial. She had this to say at Michael's. Some say your life is over, but you will still see and talk to your family. You will still get letters and birthday cards. You will laugh and cry. You will still laugh and cry. At Charlie's trial, she went on to say, I have no sympathy for the tears you shed. They have not been for Seth, but rather for what's happened to you. You could have been a hero and saved many lives. And she also has a victim impact statement that they played on the Morbid episode at the end. And it was really, it's good, but it's really fucking sad. Yeah. Um, Amber's conviction was later overturned on a technicality because she wasn't properly read her Miranda rights. Mm. So, at 19, in January of 2016, she was back in court for a second time, convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. Yeah. Um, she told Piers in her interview that if someone, if it were someone she didn't know, she'd think that she was manipulative, deceitful, and a monster. But she says that what happened doesn't define her, that it changed her, and she is not a monster. Like, what? Mm. That doesn't make sense with what you just said. Yeah, no. When he asked why Seth had to die, she shakes her head and says, I don't know. There was no reason. I don't have a reason. I just went along with it. Wow. She also stated that she had contemplated suicide many times, but she feels she deserves her sentence. An eye for an eye. Um, In Florida... A death sentence has to be a unanimous vote. Right. 
Um, and so in the original trial for Mike, it must not have been unanimous. Because, mm-hmm. And it doesn't say how many were for or against. Mm-hmm. So he was granted a new trial. Guess what, bitch? Um, on Tuesday, April 9th of 2019, he was sentenced for a second time to death. Wow. That's it. That's it? <laughs> it's only 50 minutes long. <laughs> yeah. It's, I don't know. That's Murders never make sense to me, but no. especially... 14 year olds that's just crazy i feel like we've been talking about a lot of kids lately i know and i thought that as i was about to start mine because the the one i did last time was about a a girl who her friends killed her Mm -hmm. just for no reason just because they didn't like her senseless yeah for no reason at all i hit record again hi anyway (laughs) that was a good one sorry i had to stop because i had to pee so bad but yeah that was a good one i'd never I mean, I listen to Morbid, so I, I had, had to have heard, yeah. heard it, but it's not familiar to me. Yeah, it was it was crazy. That was a good one, though. And senseless. I hate when when 14-year-olds kill. I mean, I hate when anyone kills. Anybody, but... Put that out there. But when kids do it, it's just like... He didn't get to start living his life yet. Like Yeah, and it just... It makes me so sad because I know... I mean, we've all been 14. We all know that problems seem to be like on huge much grander scale than it actually Actually, is but like i never would have thought at 14 like oh i'm gonna kill that person like no and that never crossed my mind i don't know if i would even joke about saying something like that but if i did even i wouldn't actually do it like if the forethought to actually follow through with something like that it's just so extreme and And in, in the victim impact statement his mom Makes a comment like you might think your life, like I said, some of it was already read, but like you might think your life is over, but you still get to do things. Yeah. Even though you're in jail, like yeah, you're still living. You're you still have a life to live. As Seth is is not. Yeah. You know, he didn't have that choice. No. Yeah, that's really sad. So, my story tonight, my paranormal, is uh, a recommendation from our teammate Ricochet. We finally did it. We finally did it, Ricochet. She's recommended it twice now, and it's a big one, so I apologize because this is probably going to be a really long episode, but, you know, it's if, you've, if you're listening to this, you probably like true crime and paranormal, so, so I'm not, not going to... Yeah, it, it's fine. So, this is Skinwalker Ranch, Ooh. and it's super creepy. I'm not ready. <laughs> it's a long one. I'm not going to lie. So, let's just dive in. Skinwalker Ranch is located in Utah, and it's in the center of the Uintah Basin. It was named by the Ute Tribe, and it consists of 512 acres of land. Now, one thing that, you know, Ricochet did recommend this, but one thing that, like, really sparked my interest in doing this case was the name, like, Skinwalker Ranch. It's just, like, super scary and ominous. I'm like... What the fuck is that? I had never heard of that. That's enough for me. So a lot of my research comes from a really great documentary I watched. And there's other podcasts that I listen to frequently. And there's a few online um, articles that I found via the Wikipedia page about the ranch. So it was named by Native Americans who said that there were shape-shifting, demonic, or witch-like creatures called skinwalkers. Hate it already. Yeah. We don't know too much about skinwalkers or their origins because, like, the native... It's, like, ancient Navajo lore. Yeah. And they don't even talk too much amongst each other about, about skinwalkers, yeah. let alone to outsiders. I've never heard of it 
from Supernatural. Yeah, it, it's it's not widely known because it's just like a taboo subject, and there's a lot of like superstition like shrouding it, so they just don't like to talk about it. Yeah, understandable. So this is what you know the little that we do know. They can look like any animal, but they're commonly seen as wolves or dogs. And they're claimed to, they, they've claimed to have seen these types of animals on Skinwalker Ranch. They can make anyone do anything. Like, they have, like, mind control powers. And they said that they're, the, um, the Navajo and uh, Native Americans call them the most evil creatures alive. Uh-uh. So, they have these mind control powers. Like, they can make anyone do anything, like, things that they wouldn't normally do. Like, commit murder or suicide. It, which is terrifying. That's like, that's, scary. like, the scariest superpower ever. Very terrifying. It is said that to become a skinwalker, you have to commit a heinous act, such as killing your sibling or a relative. The way to recognize a skinwalker, even in human form, is that their eyes will glow red. And oh, they, my God. I hate that. <laughs> they also say that if a skinwalker notices that you recognize them... That they have to kill you. Nope, I didn't see shit. <laughs> I didn't see shit. <laughs> uh, because their identities are to be kept a secret or else the skinwalker will die if they're, like, recognized. A common weapon that they have is this, like, lovely little thing that they have called corpse powder. Which what? sounds so <laughs> great. Which obviously is made from corpses. So this is a defense. Like fucking demonic fairy dust. Yeah, demonic <laughs> fairy. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, absolutely. So this is um, a defense mechanism that they have in order to keep their identities a secret. So basically they blow this powder that's made from dead bodies into someone's face and it causes the person's tongue to go black and then they have convulsions and then they die. Can you just do it quicker than that, please? (laughs) Just like save your corpse powder for the next person. Yeah, like, I'm not loving that. Just just do it quicker. Yeah. So that's pretty much the basic info that we have on what a skinwalker is. Um, this area is also known as Skinwalker Ranch because there's a mesa that runs like the length of the property and they call that Skinwalker Ridge. And they say that this area of land is in the path of the skinwalker. Meaning that essentially it's a thin place in our world that could possibly link to other worlds or dimensions. It's easier for them to get yeah. through. So strange noises have been reported coming from the ranch as early as 1911. But like since like in like Native Americans have been there forever. Like this is just the first like reported in 1911. But like Native Americans have been saying these ancient stories forever. So there's all kinds of shit coming out of here. Yeah. For like decades, um, so they. I mean, ever to go to Utah? Yeah, I'm not loving it. I don't want to go to Utah. So they started seeing unexplained phenomenon. Many UFO sightings happened in the 60s and 70s, which gave the ranch the nickname UFO Ranch. So a lot of odd things have been reported being seen at Skinwalker Ranch. Like pretty much any paranormal phenomenon you can think of has been reported at the ranch. So there's been UFO sightings, large animals with piercing red eyes that are essentially bulletproof, invisible objects that emit destructive magnetic fields, poltergeists, mutilated cattle, cryptids, like just about anything paranormal we can think of. It's very thin. Yeah, Yeah, it's a thin area. 
So all of these phenomenon are unexplainable. And even though, you know, some sources say that some of these stories are a little bit embellished to make them scarier or whatnot. Yeah. Almost everyone agrees that something weird is happening at the ranch. And it, it's almost like what's happening is almost like intelligent. Like it knows it what it's knows. doing. Oh, no. So now the first scale, uh, first large scale UFO sighting at the ranch happened in the 50s. And when I say large scale, I don't mean like one or two people saw it and reported it. This was like a class of 30 people that saw this oh, sighting. Oh, yeah, can't fake that. And it, as well as their teachers. And they all reported seeing the same thing, which if you don't know much about eyewitness testimony, that's a little weird that they all reported the same, same thing. Yeah. Because even if you witness the same event as somebody else, your story can still differ from, from their theirs. story. Yeah. So this sighting happened in 1951, and the class reported seeing a cigar-shaped object sitting on the ground about 50 feet away from them, and this was during the day. So there was, like, no mistaking, like, there's something weird in front of us. Yeah, you could, could plainly see it. Right. So many of the other UFO sightings happened between the year 66 and 67, one report came from a local mailman who's just out delivering the mail, like doing his job one oh, June morning. Sucks to go to work that day. Yeah, it's like not even like people that are like looking for just like things. It's just like stuff. he's going about his business delivering mail. So he said he saw a silver craft hovering in front of the basin, like in front of a hill. Yeah. Another report was from a woman who lived in the area, and she saw another type of spacecraft. She said she was going to bed. It was about 1130 at night when she saw a red light shining off in the distance. And that the red light kept getting closer. And when it got closer, she could tell it was like attached to some sort of vessel. And she described the craft as round and big as a house. And it emitted a horizontal red beam that changed colors from yellow to green before eventually the craft touched down near her house. Oh, I would just pretend it's shit. Yeah, I'd be like, nah, I'm just, I'm, I'm out, I'm done. <laughs> One of her neighbors, who was the local bishop at the time, came over because he too saw the craft, and they tried to get closer to it with his car. Um, but as soon as they approached it, it advanced upwards so fast that it just seemed to blink out and vanish. So this aided to the upcoming thought process that whatever is out there in the basin doesn't like to be documented or photographed and it will do anything to prevent Avoid this that. from happening. But lots of reports were of crafts like following cars and like appearing in people's yards and stuff. That's not a very good way to be inconspicuous. <laughs> right. So even though they don't want to be documented, they want to be seen by like naked eye. Like, they don't want to be on camera, but they want people to see it. Yeah. Now, these are just two of the sightings out of hundreds that came from this time period. And some of the sightings were, like, seen multiple times. Like, there's multiple reports on multiple different days of people seeing, like, the same type of thing. Sightings happened at this time at the rate of once a week. So, like, for a whole year, once a week, somebody reported seeing something. So along with all the sightings came the cattle mutilations. Now, for those who might not be familiar with this phenomenon, it is more than just finding like a dead cow out in the middle of a field uh, that looks like it might have been mauled by an animal. These mutilations tend to look as though they were done surgically. 
So in other words, like clean cuts, no mess. It almost oh. looked like they were taken to another location, and mutilated, and then brought back. So that was happening as well, which it sucks. I just, I can't stand, I can talk about true crime all day long, but like when it comes to like animal Animals, stuff, yeah. I'm like, oh no, poor babies. No, not the cows. So let's jump ahead to another time of uh, a lot of activity, and that was the 90s. The ranch is now owned by a family called the Gormans, and they moved there in 1994. And they're cattle ranchers, they have a lot of cows, they have a lot of expensive cows. Like, so when the cattle mutilation started oh, happening that's then, like money. it's like, money. yeah, a lot of money that they're losing. So at first, everything's fine, though. Like, they didn't notice anything and nothing weird was happening, but that quickly changed. Five months after they move onto the ranch, Mr. Gorman, his name's Tom, and his son were tending to the cattle out in the field when they saw a creature in the distance. Now, from far away, it just like looked like a normal wolf. And... That's all it was. But as it got closer, Tom saw that it was like a ginormous wolf. Like three times the normal size of a normal wolf. Nope. I'm out. But as the wolf got closer, Tom said like he didn't feel fear. Like if I'm out back in my yard, like we live in the country. Like if yeah. it's a wolf or a bobcat I'll or something. Even if I saw it like at the tree line, which is like way far away from our house... I would be running and pissing my pants. Yeah, like, I'd be afraid. I'm, I'm not staying out there. No. So, but he wasn't afraid of it. He just, like, watched it walk up to them. He said it was friendly. They even, like, patted it. He said it was, like, no different than, like... A, they touched it? They touched it. No! It was, like, no different no. than, like, a dog walking up to them. Except, except this... it's huge. This dog came up to his shoulders. Like, no, no. it was huge. Mm-mm. So... It was fine. They're touching it. They're patting it. It's, like, not a big deal. And then all of a sudden, um, it darted over to the cattle, and it snatched up one of the calves. So the father, Tom, tried to kick the wolf to try to get him to let go of the cow, but it wouldn't let go. So his son went to the truck, and he grabbed the shotgun. And Tom shot the wolf in the chest, but nothing happened. The wolf, like, didn't let go, didn't act like the gun bothered him. No blood, no cries. It was like the animal was bulletproof. He shot two more times at the animal before it dropped the calf. But all the animal did was just walk a few feet away and just, like, sit there and stare at them. Mm-mm. Like, he was just like, okay, you're just going to go away, and I'm going to go back and get the cow. Yeah, it's not going to stop me. Right. So, the father told his son, go grab a bigger gun. And the gun he, like, I don't know anything about guns. Like, not shit about guns. I guess the gun that he grabbed was, like, something that you would take elk hunting. So, it was, like, oh, well, a yeah, big gun yeah. and something big enough to take down an elk. <laughs> so, that would definitely kill this animal. Yeah, you'd think. So, he shot the bigger gun, and it didn't kill it. So, finally, he shot it again from the bigger gun, and it did seem to hit the animal and wound it. It, like, took a piece of flesh off its shoulder. And the animal ran back into the woods, and it ran off. But Tom and his son were like, no, this, this animal's going to come back. It's oh, going to kill sure. our cows, so we're going to go chase it and track it and kill it. So they follow the tracks, but once they caught up to, like, the end of the trail, the tracks disappeared, and there was no animal to be found. It was, like, it disappeared. It's gone. 
So they go back to the homestead where they found, like, the hunk of flesh that they blew off the animal. Yeah. And they're, like, looking at it and examining it. And, like, it smelled bad already. It smelled like rotting flesh. Like, almost like it had been blown off a dead animal. And not something And not something alive. So, later that week, his wife, Ellen, also saw the wolf outside. And she called the tribal police. And she's like, I have this wolf on my property. Please come and kill it. And they're like, that's impossible. There's no wolves out there. The last wolf that we killed out there was back in 1929. Holy shit. And this is the 90s? And this is 94. Oh, my. So this is only encounter number one for the Gormans. It gets way scarier. So they're on the ranch for two years. And this is what they experienced. And this is just like the tip of the iceberg. I'm not even going through everything that they experienced. Um, because just about everything paranormal that you can imagine happened here. So we've already talked about UFOs. We've talked about cattle mutilation. So now let's shift into poltergeist activity. so this happened to mainly um the wife ellen now like a lot of poltergeist activity it starts small and it gradually gets worse so it started after she saw the wolf and it started with utensils or food going missing in the kitchen and then like showing up in random places around the house like that was weird that is weird and then, like, the salt and pepper shakers would, like, switch contents. So, like, the salt would be pepper and the pepper would be salt. And it happened so often that, like, the Gormans would have to shake it out in their hand first. To see what To, it like, was. see what it was that day. So, also doors and cabinets would, like, open and close by themselves and, like, no big deal. So, this could all, like, easily be explained because they have two teenagers. Like, maybe they're just, like, playing messing a prank, messing around. But one day, Mrs. Gorman got home and she, she, from grocery shopping, and she, everybody else in the house was gone for the day. She brought in all the groceries, she sat them on the counter, and she put them away. When she was done, she left the room just momentarily, and when she came back into the kitchen, all of the groceries that she had just put away were back on the counter in the kitchen table. Aww. And it had all been done within moments, and it had all been done without a sound. Like, you would think if things are flying out of the cabinet, it, it would be crazy. loud. And, like, I'd be so pissed about that. I like, just spent all my time putting that shit away. Right, you know how much it takes to, like, take a load of groceries in from the car and, and put it put away. And then they come back and be like, oh my god, I and just I fucking it. did this. I, do it all over again. I would be so pissed. So this activity then branched out to Tom and their kids. Now, Tom is a cattle farmer. He has all these like big, giant farm equipment and tools and things that he would use on a daily basis. So all of these big, expensive tools sometimes would go missing, and then they would end up in random places, like over his head and in the trees. And he'd be Whoa. like, how the fuck did that 50-pound tool get up there? Like, that's, that's weird. So one day, um, his, he, he told his son, um, move all of these big, giant poles. Like, they're big, heavy, giant poles, metal poles, from this side of the farm to the next and stack them neatly. Oh, shit. So his son said he spent all morning dragging these poles across and stacking them over here and doing exactly what his dad said. But when his dad got home, all of the poles were right back where he, they left them. Yeah, that's probably what was going to happen. 
And the boys swore, like, I spent all morning dragging these poles. I did the job. Now, you could say that the boys were just being lazy didn't and didn't do actually do it. And they just are like, oh, I'm going to blame the poltergeist. Like, we're having problems with it. Like, I'm just going to blame it on that. But these poles did seem to have been moved because even you though... You drag marks and stuff. Yeah, you saw the drag marks. Even though they were in the original spot... They were organized and laid out a little bit differently. And, like, you could see in the ground, like, the impressions of, like, how they were set up versus versus how they were now. And it wasn't, like, it didn't match up. Like, they were put back in a different way. Hate it. So, the Gormans also said that they saw multiple crafts on the ranch. And one being refrigerator-shaped, another one being kind of oblong um, but all of them had, like, lots of, like, otherworldly type of lights. Like, not, like, normal lights, like a helicopter or, like, a cell yeah. phone tower. And they seemed to move very fluidly and they could be very fast. But one ph- phenomenon that they seemed to see most often was this giant orange mass floating in the sky. And they saw this dozens of times. This mass depending on like how you were looking at it and like where you were standing on the farm looked different so it could like change shape because it was almost like two-dimensional like sometimes it looked flat sometimes it looked like a perfect circle um but they said like in the middle of it it looked like another sky like another so like one night tom had his binoculars out and he was like i'm gonna look this thing through my binoculars And it was, like, dusk. Like, the sun was setting. Like, you know, like, the lights are low. Yeah. And he gets his binoculars and he starts looking at it. Well, the sky in the middle of this mass looked like it was broad daylight. Like, it was blue and clouds. That is weird as hell. Like, almost like it was a window into another world. He would also use the night vision scope on his rifle to look at it. And he said when he looked through the scope, it looks like it was a multi-layered portal. Like, a door that had, like, depth to it. And one time he was looking at it and he could see inside, like, this triangular, like, dark object in the middle. And it was, like, getting bigger. Like, it was flying towards him. And it passed through this portal and into the sky and then disappeared into the night. No. No, no. So, that's disturbing. That's very disturbing. (laughs) So there's like so much more. There's so many more disturbing things that happened to the Gormans during this time, including one like they were kind of tormented by this like blue glow, like glowing orb thing. And it looked like it had like boiling water on the inside and it would like get real close to them. And every time like Tom would like try to like document it, it would like fly away. And one time like his dogs were barking and kind of chasing the orb and the orb was like intelligent like it was trying to like like it get higher and lower like making the dogs jump and it lured the dogs off into the woods and he heard like the dogs barking and then like three sharp yelps and then the dog and then nothing and when he got there he said he just saw like three like burn marks in the like forest and the orb was gone so like the dogs obviously died and I don't and I'm an animal lover I know you love animals I don't want to get into like the animal cruelty because no. it was gory but 
if you want to read more about it, there's this great book called Hunt for the Skinwalker, and it details all of these events in the book. So if you're interested in learning more, I suggest you check that out. But yeah, it like killed his dogs. Like that's, that's fucked up. So in 1996, Tom had just had enough. And he put this article in the newspaper that simply said, I want this to stop. And a businessman with the interest, with an interest in the paranormal saw the story and he responded to him. His name was Robert Bigelow and he was starting a project called the National Institute for Discovery Science or other words called NIDS. And he thought that Skinwalker Ranch would like be the perfect headquarters for it. So he flew his private jet from Vegas and he spoke to Tom and the same day, like Tom told him all the stories and like talked to him about it. He made an offer on the spot to Tom to buy the ranch for $200,000. Okay. Tom's like, yep, I'm out. I'm good. Tom agreed, and he and his family moved to another ranch about 25 miles away. But Tom was so invested in this. He was so intrigued by the mystery. He had lost cows. He'd lost time. He He'd lost money. He wanted to know what was happening. Yeah. So he agreed to stay on as a ranch manager to kind of monitor things. And there, he kept some of his cows still on the ranch because I don't think the ranch that he bought was big enough to, like, house all of his For cattle. Everything. So he kept some of his cattle there. And Robert Bigelow purchased a few cows for the ranch, like, as bait. Which I hate that because that's me. I hate mean. that, too. So they also, like, so Nids brought in all of this fancy equipment to try to capture what was going on at the ranch. And Tom didn't really agree with this tactic because every time he had tried to capture something on film, he couldn't couldn't because like I said earlier, this thing is kind of skittish. It doesn't want to be documented. It wants to be seen with human eyes, but it doesn't want to be photographed or videographed or whatever. So Tom was like, I don't think this is going to work. Like, you're not going to get anything because it doesn't want Want to be seen. So he thought they were going about it the completely wrong way. And the scientists on the ranch didn't care. They set the cameras up anyway. And they didn't really capture anything, but they did. they told them they wouldn't. Right. Tom told them they wouldn't. But they did see a lot of things. And they were on the ranch for eight years. Wow. Like, trying to, like, catch something and document something. Um, But they were never able to capture a single shred of evidence on camera. Because they they knew it was there. Yeah, but they did see a lot of things. So, I have a few stories of what the scientists saw with their own eyes. And skeptics are probably thinking, oh, this is really convenient. Of course they don't have proof on camera. These are UFO scientists. They, like, probably want to see something. So they're making themselves see something. Like, there's probably a lot of psychology playing into this and shit like that. So I'm just going to tell you some of what they reported on what they saw. And I'll leave it up to you to decide if it's true or not. So they, like I said, they studied and stayed at Skinwalker Ranch for eight years. Which is the most expansive and comprehensive study into the paranormal ever done on the ranch. And also I want to say before we get into some of the reports that they tested the area for like geographical or magnetic, I'm sorry, geological or magnetic anomalies to see if like some of the phenomenon can be explained that way. They even tested like the dirt and the drinking water to see if there was like hallucinogens or something in it. And all of these tests came back negative. So there was nothing wrong with the area. Yeah. 
So, one night, Tom and three scientists saw a light hovering in the distance, and it's, like, otherworldly. It's unlike any light they've ever seen before. But it was way too far away to capture on film, so they didn't get anything. A month later, the team of scientists saw a bright yellow light fly in a perfect circle and then fly north, but it happened so fast that they, like, couldn't get their cameras out in time to capture it. Like, I don't know, like, if your kid's doing something cute and you're trying to, like, get your phone out, like, sometimes you miss it because, like, you can't get it out. So now imagine it's 1996 and you're trying to get this, like, giant brick camcorder out. Like, they just didn't... about 15 minutes, please. (laughs) They didn't get it in time. So months passed with nothing of significance happening. The scientists even went back to Vegas because um, it was the winter and it gets really cold on the ranch. And so they went back to Vegas for the winter. But then they come back in March and the phenomenon picked up again. So Tom and Ellen... We're checking on the cows as one cow just had a baby and they, you know, we're checking on it. And so they walked a few hundred feet away from the herd to check on something else. But when they returned, they saw the mother cow was now limping and they looked down to see the baby calf was dead. Oh, I knew that was probably going to happen. I know. I hate it. The baby looked like it had been ripped apart and the inside scooped clean. Like. What? scooped clean and it's so gruesome and again i don't personally do all with animal cruelty so if you want all the gory details just go discover it for yourself but this poor baby was just like eviscerated and the most disturbing thing about this scene was that there wasn't any blood like you would think if a cow had been ripped apart there'd be blood everywhere. everywhere they reported that it looked like something vacuumed out all of the blood from the cow which is that's terrible it's terrifying so upon further examination of the cow it looked like the ear had been like surgically removed from its scalp it was like a clean cut like nothing like no animal because it'd be jagged right if it or ribbed exactly so this was like surgically removed from the animal's head so later that night tom and the scientists were startled by the sound of tom's dogs barking They grabbed Tom's truck, which Tom had a big spotlight in the back of the truck, and they headed off towards the sound of the dogs. They saw this dark figure standing next to a tree that they thought maybe was a cow, but then these orbs kind of surrounded it, and these two yellow orbs appear, and so they speed towards it, trying to, like, get documentation of it. So they see this giant animal of sorts as they get closer, like, up in the tree, like, 20 feet up in the tree. So Tom gets out his gun and he shoots at the creature. And as immediately these two orb lights go out. And Tom thought he saw the creature fall to the ground. But when they got closer, they didn't find anything. Not even a sign that the creature had been wounded. So Tom then saw another creature, this time like further into the woods. And this time he double tapped. He shot twice. Yeah. Because always double tap. Like that's, that's a rule. Tom thought he had hit it, but again, when they got closer, they, they didn't find anything. But there was tracks in the snow, like animal tracks. Yeah. And this looked like a six-inch oval that had, like, like a claw coming out the back of its foot. Kind of like a bird would have a claw yeah. coming out. And they found another identical track 20 feet away from it. 
And that's all they could find. But it's in the snow. So, again, they can't, like, take an impression of that. No. So, there's, again, no documentation of that. So, these creatures... don't want you to... They don't want to be seen. Yeah. These creatures were seen several times after that as well, but never in the same place. Like, if they appeared next to the barn, they would set cameras up. Like, okay, we're going to catch it next time it's there. And it was always either just, like, left or right to the camera, like, just out of frame. Or it it appeared in a completely different spot. So, they were never able... Like, it was always, like, two steps ahead of them. So, locals were also seeing things at the time, too, around the ranch. One night, a couple saw a large humanoid creature running and keeping pace with their car. And they said that this figure was heading towards the ranch. And it was, like, really, really fast. So, like I said, they were on the ranch for eight years. So, there's, like, there's a shitstorm of stories that came out of this. And if you want to find them, like, go find them. But, like, we're going to wrap it up. So That's just insane it's crazy so the early 2000s come and nothing had happened on the ranch for a long time like it kind of had a a period like how like in between the 70s and the 90s like nothing really happened like a cool down period a cool down period yeah so the last few years it was quiet and had no sightings or anything a new family even moves into the homestead and they don't report anything happening that's unusual so nids folds and it evolves into a new organization called BASS which stands for Bigelow Aerospace Advanced Space Studies. Now they're partnered with the DIA which is a government agency and it's I actually had to look up what the DIA is it's actually it's different than the CIA so this is called the Defense Intelligent Agency. So a guy from the DIA comes to visit the ranch And NIDS moves out and Bass moves in. And this is the first correlation between Bigelow and the government. So that's suspicious. Yes. This new focus seems to point that they had learned something in the eight years that they were on the ranch and like studying all of this phenomenon. And Bass now seems to think that UFO phenomenon is capable of manipulating human perception, which further makes eyewitness testimony unreliable they start studying the human body and how it can be a readout system for testing ufo phenomenon because cameras can't capture it and experiences for with ufos seem to be personal yeah so they start studying the human body because they think the answer lies within the mind and the body and the sight so long 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 story short Bass folds, or maybe it doesn't. It's really unclear. They, but they pick up and leave. So either they relocate or they're, or they're gone. gone. But if they did find out anything during this time, they're not telling anybody. Of course not. So in 2016, Bigelow sells Skinwalker, Skinwalker Ranch to a mysterious company called Adam, Adamantium Holdings. He sold the ranch for $4.5 million. Whoa. Right. Which I'm thinking, like, Tom kind of got ripped off Hell in 1996. Yeah. <laughs> it was like $200,000? Yeah. So after the purchase, all the roads leading to the ranch are now blocked off. The perimeter is now guarded with that cameras sucks. and barbed wire. And nobody can enter the ranch whatsoever. Like, it's super. Yeah. 
So they do know that it was bought for the purpose of further examining paranormal studies. But like, why do you gotta keep it locked up like Fort Knox? I don't know. So as of 2020, the owner of the company has now come forward and we now know him to be Brandon Fugel, which he's a real estate tycoon, but he does have an interest in the paranormal. So now there's a show on the History Channel, and I haven't finished it yet. I'm not caught up on the show at all, but it's called The Secret of Skinwalker Ranch. And according to Wikipedia, it's a TV series featuring a team of scientists and experts that uses science and technology such as lasers and ground penetrating radar and drone thermology as they search the property attempting to explain the claims of all the phenomenon. So season one now has eight episodes. Season two just started in March of this year. And Brandon says in the show that he bought the ranch as a skeptic. Like he was raised like very religious. So he didn't believe in the paranormal at all. But Based on things that he has seen on the ranch, he now has his opinion. Right. He now says he has proof of the unexplained phenomenon, including his own eyewitness account of like more craft like sightings. He says that he saw a craft, you know, much like, you know, the Gorman saw and in the 50s and things like that. But yeah, you can watch the show. It's on Hulu. In the History Channel, and like I said, I'm not caught up on everything that's going on right now, but that is Skinwalker Ranch. That is It's bananas. That show sounds interesting, though. Yeah, it's still going on, so you can get on and and watch it. Like, right now, there's new episodes coming out, but I'm not caught up, so I don't know. It's a lot. I didn't know it was that much. And that's, like, not even the tip of the iceberg. It's not even close. But the hunt for the Skinwalker is a really great book, and it like it highlights all of the happenings that like the Gormans experience. I didn't expect it to be that wide of an array of yeah, it's like everything. Types it's of like phenomenon. it's ghosts and cryptids and, and all kinds of shit. So yeah, paranormal be wild and it's wild and <laughs> but yeah, it makes me think like, what did they fucking learn that they have to lock it all down? Yeah. It's scary. That is really scary. I ain't going to Utah. <laughs> no. <laughs> Never going to Utah. Oh, do the things. Oh, I gotta do the things. Oh, I can't do the things upside down. There we go. <laughs> oh, we're good. Oh, that's a lot. That's a lot shorter than I thought it was gonna be. See, yours was seemed shorter. Mine seemed longer. <laughs> that was eight pages worth of notes. Mine I'm was like, like I'm nine. Sweaty. Mine was like I'm nine pages. Sweaty. <laughs> I'm sweaty. Isn't this what? last time i get sweaty every time i don't know what you're talking <laughs> and about. you cover up with a blanket every i do time. i don't know why i fucking do that <laughs> maybe that's why you get sweaty dingus i, I don't know oh, yeah those well, were two those good ones. ones that was a good one yeah interesting interesting but yeah stuff. like us on social we're still trying to get 200 likes so get that and we'll go live yeah and we're so close guys like we're really hoping by the next time we record we'll have it and we can go live for that you. That would be badass. That would be really awesome. But yeah, thank you for tuning in to our 20th episode because 20, that's really 20. exciting. So thank you. Thank you. And keep calm. And spook on. Bye. Bye.